Welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Jim Rugg. I'm Ed Piscor. Fun one, fun one this week, Ed. The reason we're here though, Ed, this was one of the most exciting gimmicks of my young Image fan days. The idea here is an unusual crossover. Image comics based on the strength of the creators, right? We followed McFarlane and Silvestri and Larson, all these guys, we followed them to their own company and their own characters. What would be the most exciting thing you could do in a crossover? Switch the creators up with different books. Yeah, it was awesome, man. We started this channel on the strength of Wizard Magazine, man, covering all that stuff and, and, and got got pretty good success uh, here on YouTube with, with that. Um, we covered and bypassed the Image X stuff in the Wizard Magazine coverage that we've put, it out, put out there. Uh, now that we're doing these kind of daily videos, why not do, you know, a, a, an Image X book for, for a week? Yeah. Yeah, this was a, uh, a clever gimmick, I think, and it, it really kind of showed what image guys could do. And they talk about it in the backs of some of these. You get to hear, you know, words from the creators. Let's start with Shadowhawk, yes, number zero. It, yeah, Shadowhawk is Jim Valentino's character, and on the ones and twos is uh, Rob Liefeld. It's going to be doing doing the story. And, of course, they have a long history. We've talked to both of them in interviews, tracked those down on Cartoonist Kayfabe. Uh, but they go back a long way, so it made sense that these buddies would switch switch their books. Now, Jimmy, right at this moment, we, we do not have access to to uh, time travel. But if we did, you and I would hop in the TARDIS, we would go back there and talk to these guys and and scold them into making the Image X books that, uh, that we need and that they sort of promised. And what I'm talking about is that all the all the books they're not all created equal in in terms of uh, quality and they sort of abuse the image x gimmick t to one way or another with the exception of like one person um, i am fascinated by this take ed because i had the opposite reaction and i think what you're referring to is it's very different how all these books are handled some of them are almost uh it's it's like a, char a creator's taking their characters and making it their book, even though it has a different logo. Some of them are in pieces where they're collaborative. If if one creator's still writing and the other guy's just drawing, and I kind of like the way that uh, that breaks down. Not a lot of rules. I I wanted the creators to just make the comic like completely. So this one it's cool because it's it's Rob Liefeld's story and artist. The demerit that he gets is having bloodshot and. Uh, I thought that was Vogue. I but, thought it was Vogue. But it's a character called Mist. <laughs> <laughs> you had no idea who that is. But he gets he gets points for uh, for writing it and uh, playing around with an art style that he's never used before or since. That's worth noting. The layouts are by Carl Allstatter and, and script by Robert Napton. They were doing the Bloodstrike book at the time. I'm surprised by the layouts because that's something I always think of Rob Liefeld as uh, kind of a strength of his. So I'm a little surprised he doesn't do it. Kurt Hathaway doing lettering. This is a font, and we're going to see several of these. This is one of the interesting things going through this for me is early days of digital coloring, early days of digital lettering, which I didn't realize that was happening this early on. Not all of them are, are digitally lettered, but uh, several are. And, you know, we'll point out some of this stuff. And again, the digital coloring, a lot of variation throughout these issues. So that'll be fun to point, point out as well. But Shadowhawk was a character that I thought was super cool when it was announced. I didn't love the book, mm -hmm. but I loved the concept. Vigilante backbreaker and, uh, you know, kind of a cool design, shades of Wolverine, claws, body armor, all of it. And we get in right from the beginning on a mission. We're going to find out what mission it is and why they're there in flashbacks, but it's Rob Liefeld, man. Start with the action. Playing with 
you know, a Sin City kind of yes. kind of art style. Or a Jim Lee Deathblow <laughs> art style. The um well we'll be seeing Marvin a couple of pages as you as you, <laughs> as you keep as you keep uh flipping. I really like this uh his version of Shadowhawk here to me looks really cool. The shadows on the mask part underneath the metal, almost teeth. Like jagged teeth. And Good and, look. and it's a way more Wolverine approach with, with the mask, like as, as you could see there. Kiko Taganashi on the colors, uh, definitely one of Rob's favorite colors because he, he made sure that Kiko would, would uh, do the color on his contribution on many books. But Kiko doing a lot of heavy lifting and kind of... Uh, fighting against the Sin City approach. Like, I want to see this in black and white. I want to see what Rob did with without um, the, the interference of the color. It would look quite different. Yeah. Kiko gets a real crazy uh, metallic texture. Is with, this Saber? Night Saber? <laughs> with a K. <laughs> but look at that. I mean, that's Marv with a, soul, with a flavor saver soul patch, man. Yeah. Shadowhawk gets drugged by... I don't know if this guy's a government operative, some kind of, you know, all these mysterious operatives. Just image universe full of these guys. He's Mars Gunther. He <laughs> runs a company. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know Shadowhawk, he has, he's HIV positive. And so this guy is dangling a cure for him. Is kind of like the, the, the bait, if you will. Yeah, and he gets into this whole thing like where it's like, I need a, I need a, a guy with AIDS for, for this mission. <laughs> Yeah, ridiculous. Imagine what. <laughs> imagine that's the start, and now you're tasked with like figure out what kind of mission would require that quality. I'm just gonna bleed all over in a nation. Just fly me over a town that you don't like, and I'll cut my wrists. This drawing style too, also, it it looks like it's fast, super uh -huh. fast. You know, using these tools and image at the time notorious for being late. All these guys had several books going on everywhere, so it probably was drawn very quickly. Mm -hmm. But it's a, it's a, uh, I like the concept of this story. It kind of sets up stuff, a direction that Shadowhawk could go. Again, when I think of Liefeld, you know, I mentioned layouts. The other thing I think of is like concepts. Um, you know, they sound good on paper. It's sort of like, yeah, I want to know what happens to that. I don't know about the payoff always coming through, but the setup is there. The flow of this, too. Yeah, this, this <laughs> giant is... robot is what they're fighting. Yeah, and it's, you need a, a guy with AIDS for that. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't got to that part yet. <laughs> Notice the uh, light blue lettering or royal blue lettering on dark blue word balloon background. Yeah, not a good look. This is not the only book in this pile that's going to do this offense. Right. Uh, Liefeld paces it like by the by the books, man. Uh, by having these escalating villains and just making them bigger and bigger. It's funny. These two are supposed to be there for like support. Uh, you know, they're gonna they're gonna shoot their way through this compound so that Shadowhawk can carry out the mission. Uh, but of course, Shadow, this is Shadowhawk's book, so whenever they they stumble with this robot, Shadowhawk has to get involved and I don't know what's happening there, but little, he has to do something. A little sphincter. Gotta go see it. Some kind of bomb, I guess, that he plants on the guy, and uh, that takes care of him, so Shadowhawk's definitely the star. I like that part. If you're gonna do somebody else's book, go for that, because we won't always see it that way. Matt Groening with a pinup, yeah, or at least signing his name on a, uh, a Bart Simpson appearance in Shadowhawk garb. Pretty cool for uh, Jim Valentino to pull this out. Yeah, and I think probably Bill Morrison is the guy to credit for for this artwork. I'm guessing who was doing a lot of Simpsons comic book art at the time. Gra Groening's name is attached with every piece of licensing, right. like so. Again, I'm sure he's didn't draw any of that stuff. 
Ooh, Crypt. Stephen Platt, baby. <laughs> Stephen Platt in black and white. I used to always love whenever you would get to see these guys uh, in this in this version, because this is what I was copying, the mm -hmm. black and white parts. All right, back to the mission at hand, the containment unit. So there's what they're there for is this is some kind of like HIV vat that is going to infect a big part of the population, dump it in a water reservoir or something to that effect. He's supposed to stop it. So that's why you need him, I guess, to be, he's going to be exposed to this possibly. Jim, you get extra points for being able to keep up with the story. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that's extra points, Ed. <laughs> blood strike doing blood strike. These I like this of, blood strike a lot. I always like that version. Mignola-ish villains or something, like, like with these circle eyes. Like, I think that uh, Mignola would do like uh, mole men's little mole guys, sort of like that with the big eyes and yeah. shit. Yeah, he, he liked the circles, like Lobster Johnson, I think, would have those goggles that would kind of glow. Yeah. So, mission accomplished, you know, saves the world from, from HIV infection by this supervillain, and, uh, and now they're going to extraction, running out of there. This would, I would like to see this in black and white. I was just thinking, I want to see this in black and white, this ship. You know what this reminds me of a little bit, is we looked at Youngblood Strike File, and there are those pages where there's no background. It's just these cool-looking figures and then, you know, a color gradient or something. I wonder if that's an influence on the, uh, a little bit of the approach to the art style of this book. I was thinking of that. Like when you saw Gunther, whatever his name is, um, the, the drapery, it, it, it looked like uh, Jay Lee as much as it looked like Frank Miller. Yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> like all the coloring that makes that ship three-dimensional. They left their explosions behind. Nice mushroom cloud happening. I don't think I noticed that before. Wow. <laughs> he had to look at just like held up a toy or something, right? Held up a little G.I. Joe car? Maybe. You know, it reads like it makes sense for having such few I mean, I think it looks good. Marks. I think it looks good. That's what I'm saying, man. Like it looks almost too good. It almost reminds me of when people do like a 24-hour comic and you'll see kind of these bigger marks where it's like, I'm, I'm inking this fast. Dude, he's, he's re-embracing uh, the style of his engagement comic from Youngblood number six to his wife, you know? Like he was using Sharpies and stuff on that. All right, so here he is yeah. to get the cure. They had a deal, you know? Well, Gunther lets him know when it suits me and <laughs> shoots him. This is, you really have to be tuned into the extreme style of guns, I think, to read what's happening here. Right. Wakes up in Sin City on top of a building <laughs> with the uh, Gunther hologram message, but he does explain that there where the cure is and how you know how kind of to point him in the path to go find the cure, and that's basically the end. It's kind of a setup. If you're if you're Shadowhawk, you could go in this direction. If you're uh -huh. Valentino, you could go in this direction with Shadowhawk of like, there's this cure. I, I have some parts to start on that search, and. Uh, I remember reading this and thinking, like, that's a good concept for Shadowhawk. Like, so, like, it's a mission that makes sense as a reader. It's real easy for me to understand what's happening and send him on his way. Some of these books will work that way, where they're in, you know, quote-unquote canon of the, uh, the, the, the title and can, can be spun out. By the way, I think all of these books take place on the same day, and we'll mark it by the full moon, because <laughs> it is in all of them. Uh, that's amazing. People at home, man. One of the few 1963 character appearances was in Shadowhawk 14. I love the ads in these things. Definitely. There's some really strange ones. A little bit of, uh, you know, I mentioned the creators. We'll talk a little bit about their background or how this X month came about, what their experience was. And he talks about going way back with Rob Liefeld. 
even credits life out as the reason that he's part of image because you know everything else is uh spider books or x books the top selling books at marvel and somehow valentino gets part of it it's because of his long association with rob liefeld and he talked about it on that interview and told some fun stories so if uh, if you're interested in more of that we have it yeah shoot interview on the on the channel early mcfarland toys again with the uh the retro ads here this look is, at that todd toys logo this was the era man i picked up each of those figures at kmart how bad was that one, though? With a little uh, bendy, yeah, little blend bendy flexi. Trying I, something, J Jimmy. I wouldn't know because I never took them out of their package. Oh right, yes. <laughs> There's your list of creators and characters at Image at the time, and it's pretty impressive. If you want to pause the video and check that out, it's 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 amazing what they accomplished in their first year or two in business. And how about that for a killer back cover ad? Let's see. Wrap it up with Steve Bissett's Tyrant, one of my favorite comics, and kind of amazing to see that in Image X Month. <laughs> This video is brought to you by the books that we make. Coming out in November, I have Street Angel, Princess of Poverty from Image Comics. This collects all of the Street Angel comics that are not in Street Angel, Deadly Scroll Alive, also available from Image Comics. I've also been self-publishing. True Crime Funnies you can buy on my website, jimrug.com. You can also get these from my Patreon, patreon.com slash jimrug, where you can find 1986 and BW zines. As Hulk Grand Design is my contribution to the Grand Design series from Marvel Comics. These are going out of print, so pick this up if your comic shop still has one and you haven't added it to your shelf yet. Ed's latest, Hip Hop Family Tree Omnibus. 500 plus pages of all the Hip Hop Family Tree comics, plus 140 bonus pages. X-Men Grand Design collects Ed's three X-Men Grand Design volumes in one easy to find trade paperback because several of those original volumes are out of print and red room anti-social network and trigger warnings both available now with a third volume crypto killers coming in january and now back to our video all right today ed we're going to check out cyberforce number eight let's put it right next to this one this is the todd mcfarlane uh crossover issue and you can see the signature mcfarlane after mark that's Mark Silvestri who was doing this cover. I guess Silvestri did it first, and then McFarlane came in and uh, and, and picked up on the same style. Got a, got a little flack for that being lazy, you know, copying <laughs> someone else's cover. I love that pink magenta background. To me, that really pops. Um, fun to see the two different approaches to color, and uh, that's something that you'll note inside in Cyberforce. They do their books a little differently. We looked previously at Dragon and Shadowhawk, where uh, Rob Liefeld and Jim Lee's teams were doing their own stories. In Cyberforce number eight, McFarlane's doing pencils and some of the inks, along with his kind of inking team. Eric Silvestri's doing plot and script, so that's the the regular writer on Cyberforce is writing this story. And he may be actually the luckiest guy uh, in uh, Image Comics, Eric Silvestri, beyond uh, Brandon Choi, because he gets to be Mark's brother. Yeah, there, there are some uh, who you know in these early <laughs> days of, of Image. Um, but McFarlane brings Steve Olaf over on color, and uh, it's worth noting that color as we continue through X-Month. I think there's so much variation in this early approach to digital coloring. These guys are making their own books, like Mark Silvestri's making his own comics, and he's out of his money paying his staffers to do to do the work and famously McFarlane uh, grabbed Steve Olive always paid him better than everybody else man so Olive would color color other books but the priority was always the Todd McFarlane productions because he he understood the equipment the best you could find an interview online with Steve Olive uh, talking about those days and in some very small town wherever he lived yeah uh, there were like Four 
comic book computer coloring houses and it was like a town of like 300 people or something uh he these people went on to to go to extreme suit i think kiko was was one of uh steve olive's guys yeah so it was it was a very boutique cottage industry I kind of like some of the Cyberforce designs, Striker in particular. I like that asymmetrical three arms on one side. The story here is they're protecting this guy who's going to testify against some criminal or other. And uh, a guy that looks like Striker shows up and shoots him while he's under the protection. And uh, this is Heatwave, I guess, the leader of Cyberforce. There's some friction between him and Striker because Striker's out having drinks on a you know, night on the town living it up and there's like a subplot of like maybe striker drinks too much excuse me i couldn't read this thing oh <laughs> man you missed out on a good one well is this your favorite one relatively speaking um no it's not but i do like it and there, there's some stuff i like I, mostly art based but the story is basically now the guy they're protecting survives somehow even though it looked like striker shot him with several high-powered guns at once but he survives Cyblade mostly takes care of him and then they're tracking the uh, would-be assassin. And he's like a doppelganger guy or something, right? right? He's like shapeshifter. Yeah, and one thing to point out that, that we haven't so far is what they did in X-Month, all the guys who had single characters took on team books. And all the guys that had team books took on single characters, which is pretty fun. So you see McFarlane doing essentially like an X-Men book, which he never really did anywhere. Uh, so that's kind of cool. And as a result, you get these... Spawn is a very different book than Cyberforce. You know, this is like in the X-Men mold. Dynamic poses, cool action shots. So you're going to get to see McFarlane do some of that throughout this comic. And uh, there's one of the early uh, dividends of this. Love, love that uh, double lighting on that, on that uh, rip claw face, man. And uh, when throughout all of, the, all of these books, well, mo most of these Image X books and certainly most of the Image books, they read like any of those like Bloodfire comics or something like that. They, they do, man, they, totally. They just have way cooler looking art. Yeah, and there are places where those lines blur. As these true. studios start to bring in their guys. Uh, it, it is Bloodfire comics. <laughs> yeah, sometimes they, they, it's they, literally those artists. Yeah, they might they might have got those guys. This is flashback sequence. This is that creature, the assassin creature to Striker. It's this beautiful woman, but she drugs him. That's what's going on with several of these characters as they go through. <laughs> Imagine a three-armed guy like at the local pub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah, for sure. Uh and they're just tracking them, you know, like it's a pretty basic story, easy to follow. They're trying to catch this thing and it's not exactly working for one reason or another. Look at the ads. These are the Cyberforce ads. Like this is what the designers coming up with. You see like digital lettering and fonts in the early days. It was like, oh, look at how cool this font is. Maybe. <laughs> Built into the damn Windows 95 that they have. Or yeah, right. <laughs> so Farmer, where they're tracking down this creature and uh, at the farm, he sees it's like his daughter that looks like this demon, but we see that it's really a demon. It's it's like it's like uh, it's Ripclaw's family or something. I think, right? I don't like know. that's his little sister. I don't think so. I like this drawing of Ripclaw a lot. It's just a little Ripclaw, but I feel like it looks pretty cool. And he's following like dead animals along the way. This is that. Yeah, this isn't Ripclaw's family because he would be bent. If he walked in and had like a shotgun shoved through the guy's skull. Good image. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Good image. <laughs> the Red Room author approves. Yes, sir. <laughs> McFarlane was good for that stuff. He had a real gory kind of imagination. You see in the aftermath, you know, these drugged out characters 
after they encounter it. Fortunately, Ripclaw, like Wolverine before him, has a healing factor, and he's back on his feet pretty soon after he recovers. Yeah, go go, go back real quick, because it's like, boom, <laughs> boom. <laughs> Explain it real quick. And soon Keep it after, <laughs> Ripclaw recovers. Keep it moving. So off they go once again. Eric Silvestri, how about you make on this? The classic McFarlane side profile. Flashback to, uh, I guess his daughter was killed in a flashback. So that's what he sees when he encounters the demon. I see. It's his little daughter showing up. They're really getting fed up. The gas station attendant points them in the direction that the truck drove away. This is, I guess, that farmer's daughter that thinks it's her boyfriend fiance until he gets shot in the head, revealing himself as the demon. And then she says, no way, skank man, I'm out of here. You can see why he's writing comics. <laughs> Very witty. Um, this is where the guy was going to retreat to. This is like the helicopter that he was meeting. Look at this freaking military-grade helicopter that's just picking him up in upstate New York for the uh, extraction after doing his hit. I, I, I adore this artwork, man. And a big part of it really is Steve Olive's heavy lifting with, with a lot of the color. It, it adds a lot. Like if you And we have like the Spawn uh, artist editions and shit. And it looks like the it looks like McFarlane, the same McFarlane that did the Spider-Man and, and all that stuff. But like with the added color and that glossy paper, it made it feel to us that that it was just a more compact, complexly constructed piece of comics, man. Yeah, I'm, it's good to point that out. And for people comparing at home, like whenever we see the Spawn issue, that's going to be the Silvestri version. It's a different colorist. You know, you don't see colors like blue sky. Uh, it's it's uh, I think all of the best of these colorists. Yeah, and you know you can see it whenever you go through like all produced within a month of each other, so you can kind of see what everybody's doing. Um, that's it. You know it's pretty light lifting, but again it's another self-contained, uh, done in one story. You see what ads where all these books are at. So about two years into Image Comics at this point, and again with the ads, I, I kind of love these ads. That's so, like, early 90s for an ad. It absolutely is. Super low-res photo. Yeah. Very strange. Uh, I think the best part's probably the cover, but it's neat to see McFarlane doing a team like that. I, I would be down for seeing McFarlane do another issue or two of, like, a team comic of this sort. You know, like, the action-packed, more straightforward superhero kind of team. Let's do the Spawn issue of uh, Image X Month, where Mark Silvestri and his uh, creative team from Top Cow handle the art duties. Yeah, and you can compare the, uh, the the two covers there. I guess Silvestri comes up with this cover composition first because you see McFarlane after Mark, but same composition and totally different. And we start with the color. Um, you know, I've, I've been talking about the different color and lettering and stuff and these little variations that everybody has their own teams that put their books together, the technical part. We're going to see some real variation in coloring between Steve Olaf handling like Cyberforce McFarlane art and uh, Silvestri's color choice um it's it's uh and it starts on the cover you know i think that magenta cover certainly pops a little bit more i don't mind the color on the spawn 25 color cover but if you see which one's on the rack to me there's no question which one stands out that uh that spawn head looks severe <laughs> on that thing man he looks very diseased yeah very sick 
really <laughs> gross five years in hell will do that to a person <laughs> <laughs> all right guys if you're uninitiated to the spawn comic what one thing that you should absolutely know be, because this is part of uh this is part of uh, spawn canon written by todd mcfarland one thing that you absolutely need to know is you'll never get anything uh worthwhile <laughs> whenever you see these these three faces there's never anything that really matters so don't fear all those words you could just bypass that but we can start with color commentary here and also how do they use these logos i'm shocked that they're able to use those trademarked logos on page one but note how they're like the same color as the background which might be how they get away with using them is at a glance you don't even notice that they're there yeah I don't know if that was the colorist's orders was to uh, make sure we don't get sued over these logos being visible. The image dudes would bring their colorists from uh, their studio, but uh, but not their letterers, man. So Tom Orzakowski still handling the lettering chores here. Yeah. And I, I'm going to say Orzakowski's lettering of these six books, to me, by far the best. There are several early fonts that are being used in some of these books. You just appreciate Orzakowski's lettering, man, whenever you start comparing it. A lot of this stuff I read and forgot about uh, nearly immediately, man. But one thing that I could tell you is that if you're a homeless person in a Spawn comic, you're not long for this world, man. You're going to have some trouble in your life. I've got a lot more to complain about than just that. This is baseball talk. Todd McFarlane, a, a very well-known baseball fan. Guys complaining about, you know, the team losing. It's in New York, talking about the Yankees. One of the guys brings up, you're probably still mad about the uh, the Babe Ruth, Red Sox selling the Yankees Babe Ruth. No New York Yankees fan is mad about that. That's the greatest <laughs> moment in New York Yankee history. They hate the Red Sox. It's the curse of the Bambino. And he, sure enough, he's mad about it. Yeah. What? That's like an invasion of the body snatchers moment right there. We found out you're not really our, our hobo bum anymore, buddy anymore. You're this guy that doesn't know what New York baseball is. Very strange. And then he goes off to, to pee. Talks about how great it is, man. R making his bladder gladder. Yeah. Two panels later, this guy grabs him and he pisses himself. <laughs> what? <laughs> Very strange writing. This is, a, this is an Alan Moore moment, too, of cutting from scene to scene where it's like the uh, visual previous page. He drops his wine bottle. It breaks on the floor. Cut to the scene of the guy dropping his coffee mug and having it break on the floor. Right. It's kind of clever, but we quickly, uh, we'll, get, we'll get one more of those. It's where the window shot cut to the guy kicking through the window in the next building. This is fun, man. McFarlane's really connecting the dots on these scene, scene transitions <laughs> for the first two. And then uh, we have the guy who was terrorizing the, uh, the homeless dudes is going to uh, connect with his boss, who is this crazy-looking demon that's really mad at a mob boss. It's like a demon from hell, but he's got he's got some sort of quarrel with uh, Tony Twist. Yeah, you're looking at this wrong. He's mad at a hockey player. Right. This is a demon <laughs> from hell, man. He likes the heat. He's mad at this guy who's running around on the ice. Makes a lot more sense if you read it that way. This is also in the midst of, like the week before this, issue 19 of Spawn came out. I think the week after this, issue 20 comes out. I think... McFarlane's spinning plates, man. Maybe the toys have really taken off. I think there's just too much going on. <laughs> you, imagine, you said a magic word here, Jimmy. Toys. Because you see this character and you're like, what the fuck is this thing? And then you realize that this is Tremor. So, like, there were six toys in the first line. And Tremor was one of the toys. But you never saw Tremor in the comics. So it's like, man, Todd, Todd's already padding his, <laughs> um, his whole line. 
And uh, this is this is Tremor's first appearance, man. And we shouldn't bury the lead. X Month is about having these hotshot artists taken over each other's characters. So, if you have any thoughts on Sylvester as we roll through here, add to it. All right. Uh, you know, it, it's this feels like an issue of Spawn. It's not too far off. And shortly after this, Greg Capullo is going to take over the kind of the penciling duties. Yeah. Not too far out of the norm having Sylvester drawing this, especially once you bring in like a Greg Capullo, where it's like not exactly McFarlane. You know, this is almost just an issue of Spawn. It is just an issue of Spawn. It fits in the canon and everything, and you could tell that this issue has taken place after Batman meets Spawn. One more of those plates McFarlane's probably juggling, I think, what threw the schedule off to begin with. Right, right. And you can always tell what came first when you see the um, the football the football uh, laces. This is another one of those inconsistent writing moments where uh, where the hobo that he's friends with comes up to him and is like, hey we're in trouble. Guys are telling us to move away. They're looking for you. And Spawn's like, get out of here. You got to solve your own problems. <laughs> and then one page later, he's having second thoughts about that. And then he does go back and he's like, I'll, I'll solve the problems for you. Right. Which happens every issue or two. Yeah. In this case, every page or two. <laughs> yeah. So Vestry looks like he's, he's, approximating McFarlane type compositions with a lot of uh, the page layouts and yeah. stuff. It, it feels McFarlane-ish. I like this building scene quite a bit. I love that round, like the uh, same glass or whatever. It's, it's funny because it's, it's sort of a church, but then you have like a gargoyle on top of it. So a little conflict there, but I do like the way those windows look and the top of the buildings all look good. And that's a staple of Spawn. If he were auditioning to draw Spawn, it'd be pretty good. And again, note the full moon. Yeah. All these stories taking place, I assume, the same night. <laughs> By design. <laughs> it's time for Tremor to interact with, with our with our main uh, hero. I'm glad that you're the one that's explaining what's happening here, because this <laughs> is where I fall off. <laughs> I think Spawn's in the process of trying to conserve his power, even though the power meter has gone away. And so he has a plywood version of himself there to, uh, to fool. Is he blood or Tremor now? He's called Blood. Wasn't he Blood whenever he first appeared? I think there was a pinup of him that introduced him. In oh yeah, he was called something real weird in I Image uh, Zero. Right. In Image Zero, yeah, it was the same character. But he's he's Tremor here because that's what the toy, the back of the toy, gotcha. calls him. Gotcha. We mentioned color in the beginning, and you know this is some of that version of me thinking Steve Olaf's coloring is superior is that it just it just bleeds together like a lot of these guys they have their computers they're coloring this stuff you can do your gradations and highlights but the color theory part falls off mm -hmm. like let's put this navy this dark almost gray navy on top of purple <laughs> those are supposed to be two different things like i can't <laughs> even see his arm it, it just disappears into the shadowy cape part it became a mantra after this uh where you would hear uh, a lot of sound technicians say that uh you know that the computer is a tool. It's not the. It's not everything. So like, you you still have to apply, the fundamentals. And uh, one of the things like with the uh, tremor toy is he could shoot that fist. <laughs> so we got. So we got to make sure we get that in the comic at least one time, man. They even call it out. I think in the captions, a biomechanical appendage extended twofold, <laughs> retracts in a blink. And that is a toy advertisement. <laughs> and then we realize that uh, Tremor wasn't just a demon from hell. He got some sort of uh, alteration. 
by way of uh, your hockey player, Tony Twist. And it also happened during a full minute. <laughs> <laughs> These are like werewolf comics. <laughs> right. And sometimes there's two full moons. Incredible. Once again, it feels a lot like, uh, you know, your standard Spawn comic. That's that's where this falls short. Like, letting Todd McFarlane do the writing. Like, let's see what Eric uh, Silvestri and Mark Silvestri can do with uh It's probably the least story of any of these issues. There just nothing happens in this issue. Like, it ends up with, it's like, oh, the miscommunication. We're not enemies. Yeah, he gives them a full... Spawn goes off to Tony T Twist's office procures a file folder gives it to tremor and tremor this is a funny panel just like this crazy <laughs> demon leaving with a little office max yeah manila envelope this is uh this is like a dusty finish <laughs> this issue it's just not satisfying for anyone <laughs> and making a big production about the whole weird sequence of numbering for spawn at this time and yeah Spawn 20 is out. It's so funny. There's like an ad. Then there's a uh, self-effacing little cartoon. Then there's like the text piece explaining it. <laughs> Very they, bizarre. They don't show the tremor toy. Yeah, that's a missed opportunity. You got to have the toy ad tie-in. This is the issue. <laughs> right. I always liked this. Yeah, that was always fun. In the back of the uh, Spawn comics. I guess it would be in certain. A lot of, of the, the image books would have that that fan art. That was that was such a successful gimmick for like Wizard and then the early the early image books. Really kind of grabbed your fans and brought them in. Again, man, early typography, digital typography. Feels so nineties. Yeah, totally. All over the place. Del Keone, man. At the first Pittsburgh Comic Con, probably around this year, uh, Todd came to town with the uh, Spawn Mobile. Wow, I, I did not go to that that the first con. one. Yeah, I think '95 must have been my first one. Yeah. That would have been a big get, Todd McFarlane there. It was huge. Yeah, yeah, and and but I think even the second year was was uh, Stan Lee. So they really shot for the fences first first go around. Really solidified it. Jim Valentino, the artist uh, creator of Shadowhawk, is on creative duties for an issue of Youngblood. He's going to be inked by uh, Dan Fraga here. And what makes this my favorite Image uh, X-Month book is it's completely uh, written and drawn by, by Jim Valentino. It's not a Shadowhawk comic with Youngblood characters in it. It tells a complete story. It's a fun story. That sort of meets my criteria for what I was hoping Image X-Month would be. I wanted to see Mark Silvestri do a Spawn comic, not one of Todd McFarlane's Spawn comics, you dig? And uh, I think Dan Frege's inking approach on Silvestri is complimentary. Yeah, and also it's colored by Extreme Colors. So the I, I assume that's who colors, you know, that's kind of the studio for Extreme, I'm guessing. So it does have a certain look that lines up uh, to some extent to what you would expect from these characters. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, it is funny because Kiko is doing a Shadowhawk. And Kiko is exclusively the Youngblood uh, colorist. So Kiko goes where Rob Liefeld goes, yeah. man. And then those those other, you know, Byron, the guy who's probably responsible for your gray background on the, the gray gun of Blood Wolf from Darker Image, is dude on color duties here. And, and the story is Bad Rock is is a option for, we don't exactly hear what it is, TV show, movie, something like that, but it's a Hollywood option. He's getting schmoozed, man. So there's even, yeah, there's even 
some of that like all of these guys were getting wooed by Hollywood you know you would find uh uh lifestyles of the rich and famous Rob Liefeld on there showing off his house talking about coming up with movie ideas with Steven Spielberg and Tom Cruise none of which have seen the light of day or, or panned out but like these you know 25 year old guys get wooed by by you know Hollywood mavens and it's kind of a play on that man you know make sure make sure you you're getting net not gross or whichever the good one is I always forget yeah each of these is like a little piece of what you would hear I'm sure from from uh, your buddies from anybody that thought they knew what was going on in Hollywood right when we, we were talking about uh, you know the lettering before you mentioned that it was a font uh, look at the like default number font when like it's not whenever they constructed this font they I guess they just didn't think that like we might have to have numbers in our word balloons so it just went to this de facto you know that your computer will go to the closest font possible and it's the balloon font with you know the Kurt Hathaway lettering font that's super whack man yeah it's uh one of the more interesting details of all of these is looking at that lettering and, and looking at these fonts because it is early days and you could see here man that uh that Jim Valentino is a student of uh, Frank King from uh, Gasoline Alley <laughs> with uh, the singular background and our, our character moving throughout you do get a sense of Valentino's cartooning skills he's much uh I think more broad in what he's looking at what's influenced him over the years and stuff like that he told a great story about showing Robert Crumb comics to Rob Liefeld whenever they were uh, in, in their early friendship and uh you, you see that here you know like he's coming with knowledge of indie comics and you're gonna see that kind of almost auto bio tongue-in-cheek there's humor in this in a way that you really don't see in the other image guys whenever Rob Liefeld was selling the public on Youngblood the idea was this is a celebrity government issue superhero team so they are the face because you know he has a universe so these the Youngblood is the face of these government operations and they're allowed to be celebrities you never seen one piece of evidence of that in any Rob Liefeld Youngblood yeah. comic uh and the idea I guess like Brigade was going to be the ones really doing the work or something uh this is a comic where you get to kind of see a little domesticity any young blood comic which you just never fucking got man <laughs> it is funny as shit man see seeing like uh bad rock in all of these different scenarios unless we forget man this is a 90s comic so you got to give the big puffy sneaks <laughs> backwards hat yeah it's it's pretty bizarre it is in line with your description though of what young blood is but it's bizarre to see it yeah i know the closest we ever saw in uh, the the um, Rob Liefeld stuff was Bad Rock was on like a David Letterman type show and there was still some violent altercation required or something yeah and they say like the the licensing fee is like 50,000 I think he does more damage in the process like he does $50,000 worth of damage just in this comic he's a he's a rock star yeah and, and and for those who don't know the character of Bad Rock is he's a little boy it's like in a big cement body so he's like an eight-year-old or something is he that young no I don't I don't yeah know. I don't know either well, I, I always pictured him a little bit older like but we don't see anything pervy so yeah he's probably preteen, I guess <laughs> right yeah I have right. no idea yeah he's not looking for like titty flicks but as you say he's certainly an immature kid in this bot in this Hulk like body so much you could have done with that uh 
that too, man, because like when, when I discovered these comics, when I started reading, uh, Youngblood, like I was in like middle school, approaching high school age. And that was, that's the, that's when kids are hitting a gym and actually able to put on muscle. And like, when you get into a fight, it doesn't just sting anymore. Like you can really hurt each other. Uh, and having an immature kid with like this amazing brawn, there's so much storytelling possibility that you could do here. And this is him in this Hollywood meeting, which again, I feel like is part uh, referencing probably real meetings that, that Valentina's sat through or whatever. Uh, talk about time-wasting kind of endeavors. And Bad Rock just wants to eat and hang out and imagine all the stuff that's going to come out of this because that's the other part. You're, you're sold like this is going to the moon, man. You're going to be the biggest thing ever. Uh, a little bit of a naive character. He's buying a hook, line, and sinker. Pogs. This was the era, man. <laughs> Fucking bad rock pogs. It is funny what comes out like kids' mills. <laughs> yo yos. Yo yos. That's probably from Jim Valentino. I was gonna say, that's Jim Valentino's pog. Yeah, that's that's a slightly older guy doing this version. <laughs> oh, and here's our Steve Spielberg uh, analog. George Spilopola. Hollywood uh, sightseeing being a tourist there rips the top off of his limo because it's bad rock man yeah. rock star going to venice beach uh look look at fraga man putting his little black flag dude in there <laughs> it's got that beret it's what you got to do a little slingshot bikini vampirella style you would always hear tell of like these like goofball muscle beach mm -hmm. characters man you would see them like uh you would see them in canon film type, type you hear movies. i mean wrestlers have origin stories that come out of there or wanting to go there and work out whenever they were like in LA for an event. Right. Yeah, that's its own culture. <laughs> Shows those muscle guys up. <laughs> Look at these dudes in thongs and shit. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Throws them off to uh into into the ocean. It walks off with two two girls, man. So he probably ain't that young. You know, we'll call him a young teenager. And then uh. He, he just got his ass kiss, kissed by the Hollywood bigwigs back at Youngblood headquarters. And he is not being given the time of day from the Hollywood people who just kissed his butt. They're all at meetings. They're all at meetings. They can't get in touch with you, uh, you know, as the weeks. Months go by and it's like they're in the same meeting. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then... Uh, I like his look, how it changes, because those are all looks that you would see in, like, Youngblood Strike File. Or whenever the, the series would be relaunched and you'd have a headband. Right. You know, it's like they kind of run through, like, these looks. And then, of course, you know, plug the David Show Shadowhawk shirt. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that's true, man. Like, whenever he's on David Letterman, he's wearing this exact outfit. Yeah, this is... Valentina's doing his homework. I think this that's is the, the toy, This right? is the toy. <laughs> we internalize this stuff too much, Yeah, man. we shouldn't know that. We should know how to ink better or something, It's like man. we both failed the test of being replace humans. Replace some feathering skill with <laughs> that neural capacity, man. So, meetings, meetings, and then, nope, he's on vacation. Slams the phone. TV guide. There's going to be the Bad Rock Show. You know, you signed your name on the dotted line. We can now do whatever we do. Is this uh, a little Valentino-ish kind of guy? Like a little little self-caricature? Maybe. He yeah. didn't have white hair or anything back then. but Salt and pepper. Maybe. But yeah, it's the big debut, and, and man, he's dressed to the nines. And, and, and this, is, this is the shit that I can relate to, man. Look, Spider-Man's coming. Bringing all the heroes. 
<laughs> Rip Claw just walking along in his <laughs> weird outfit. Is that Shadowhawk walking in? <laughs> yeah. Valentino seemed like, of all the dudes, took a lot of pride in what image was. In that, like, everybody showed up. Everybody had their characters and their books and stuff. Because you'd see it in those ads where it's like, here's the list of all the roster. Right. You know, it seemed like Valentino really recognized that this was something special. And so I feel like that's what this page is. You know, like, highlighting everybody's books and, and different characters. And Neil Gaiman for some reason. Yeah. We'll have to do some videos on his uh, image. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I this, this always made me mad because I, I liked seeing all the characters there. But it's like... Man, if 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 Jim's gonna draw that shit, Byron, you gotta color them. Yeah, color that a little bit better. Uh, even with the little note of George Perez, eat your heart out. Perez, known for doing these super like every character in the in the Marvel or DC universe in the crossover books. Pay it off a little, man. See, you color that well. That should be some poster of all the image characters. Exactly, exactly. And uh, as we could have imagined, the Bad Rock TV show. A lot like the Spawn movie. <laughs> that's perfect man and he's just increasingly more and more embarrassed as as uh you know his his peers and friends start to laugh and mock and all that shit man and like boy fun cartooning watching him go through that expressions and uh probably a challenge for a cartoonist whenever i, I would see the books and he would have like all the facial expressions you know like learn to draw all of these but when you apply it to like the concrete faced guy, right? <laughs> not the most emotive face. I did work on some animation stuff in the past. Jimmy and I was super stoked and was interviewed and all of my family was very excited. There was a certain point where I was like locked out of the process, you know, the FTP stuff. And I didn't see the assets and how everything was congealing into its final form. So the first time I saw it, it was the first time everybody saw it. I didn't get out of bed for a month, Jimmy. <laughs> I really didn't. <laughs> But we sign off with a, a nice splash with Shaft and Nightsaber. That's pretty good. Yeah, that looks about right. Shades of like the Todd Nock uh, proportionality of of the extreme characters whenever he starts doing new men, which I was a fan of. He might have been doing it at this point. Yeah, maybe. If you if you see like the checklist, that's what I was doing going through these is like where they have like what's shipping that month. Right. Reading like what books are coming out and everything and who the creative teams are. Next kind of issue. Flashback. Issue 10, Jimmy. That's a big one. Chapel versus Spawn. The finale. Look at that Kiko Taganashi color on that thing right there. And, and what could he be saying no about? <laughs> it's a pretty good two-page spread. That's for sure. Fan art. Little nightsaber action. Chapel makes a decision about his destiny that will affect the image universe for generations to come. Right before Extreme Sacrifice, man. It leads to Extreme Sacrifice. It You're going to be lost if you don't read issue 10. <laughs> Shadowhawk issue with the 1963 characters showing up. This face is like so flat looking. Yeah. And I thought it was like by design. You know, I thought he's like, you know, Paper Man or something. That color gradient's ridiculous. Like, that's that early digital coloring of like, let's use all the colors in the Purple gradient. Roy G. Biv. Yes. <laughs> See, this is Todd Nock. I, I really like the way they colored the Todd, because he left a lot of um, space for the colors to do their thing. He also had a very animated style. Some more Todd Nock. I didn't like Dan Panosian's inking on him as much, though. Who is his regular anchor? I don't know. He got me. 
I was pretty checked out at this point. I like that Supreme drawing, though. That's Brian Murray, right? I don't know. I, maybe. Probably. Yeah. Young Blood Year 1. I don't think this came out. It did not. There were several of these. Remember Jim Shooter was associated with the Young Blood book that never came out? Kurt Busiak. I think, was it Mark Miller had one that maybe an issue came out? But this would happen frequently where it was like some young blood book was advertised and then didn't really materialize and this looks so cool man it's like you got the diehard squad but this the... is like busiak coming off of marvels i think around this time so it was you know height of kurt busiak is like yeah dude what what could be better than him doing an origin of young blood right yeah it's too bad man and let's date it one more time dude. <laughs> sega cd like five games made for that system it's incredible to think like these games you know like they become the franchises what comic books used to be those iterations of those games over years and years and years like and this and this and this one here had the secret characters man where you type in the code and you could play as uh bill clinton hillary clinton and george clinton <laughs> no shit, jimmy let's talk about the eric larson savage dragon artist helming the Wildcats covert action team Jim Lee's comic so as a reader Savage Dragon was my favorite at this time yeah. Eric Larson was the cartoonist I was most excited about having read you know a year or two of image comics and uh, I had probably quit buying Wildcats at this point so I was mixed feelings I would have rather had the Eric Larson Savage Dragon issue but this is what I got and you can see on the cover Mighty Man and Maul fighting this is going to be it's a pretty good issue. This is my my favorite issue out of this uh, out of the X month issue, and it's pretty much Eric Larson's Freak Force superhero team versus Jim Lee's Wildcats superhero team. So classic, you know, classic comic book tropes of like having these two fan favorite teams clash. Yes, uh, I I like this comic a lot as well. The demerits are because of Eric Larson bringing his other team into the thing. We should have replaced those guys with Stormwatch. <laughs> You're right, that would've been really cool. Um, dark word balloons. This is uh, early days of digital coloring, digital lettering, and it's like, that's hard to read. Don't do not do that. Don't do black ink on, on blue backgrounds like that. That is unfortunate because there is value in these first two pages and you know, the classic Kirby trope of splash page, double pager, uh, double page spread. And Eric Larson is probably the most sound cartoonist for for my taste of, of all of these guys and he understands the mechanics of how comics works and he has some idea about the business of comics and he knows that there may be some people who come to this comic who are eric larson fans so he very clearly lets a new reader know what the fuck you're getting into with that consideration in mind nobody else did that in any of these things and i think that's just a stroke of a, a, a good cartoonist a smart cartoonist yeah i agree There's your money shot of Jim Lee's Wildcats, as interpreted by Eric Larson, which was the cool gimmick of this whole X month. So that's what you want. That's that's really the number one piece that you want out of these books is like, bring in the artist, another cool artist, you interpret the characters. And we're going to get a schmoz. Uh, this is good. There's going to be pathos here, man, because we're going to get the schmoz between uh, Maul and Mighty Man, who is a female nurse that turns into Mighty Man and uh, similarities and differences between the two. 
but it's you know these comics are fun this one is kind of you know it's standalone eric larson he doesn't know what the hell wildcats is yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's very true do you think these are uh, intentionally like these are jim lee panels that he's got, trying to do there you know at the time i would say yes but if you keep reading savage dragon right. see some of the shit that he does <laughs> it quickly becomes eric larson yeah stuff. That, that that's what i was thinking too like in some ways it 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 could be that but it's not that different than what you're seeing in the eric larson uh language the eric larson art style though i, I think of it um compared to the rest of his image of you know founding fathers is a far more organic style than everybody else like brandon Choi had the habit of writing uh, a lot of these like acronyms that would then be spelled out down here and so larson's doing a little bit of a caricature of that writing style too where it's even things like asap is spelled out as as soon as possible so totally totally it, and it's all leading to the to this joke right there <laughs> bfd <laughs> yeah no that was a good piece man so yeah what happens in that mighty man one of his fights this woman who's injured was like maul's somebody maul cared about i'm not i'm not positive what their relationship is maybe an ex-girlfriend or or something but whenever maul learns that you know this building collapsed and and injured his friend he's out for payback How? and maul's gimmick the bigger he gets the less you know he's almost like the hulk or something like he loses his mental faculties as he gets bigger and getting bigger is important if you're fighting uh the world's mightiest moral mighty man that's all well and good, Jim, but how whack is uh, Warblade without his costume on? Wait, that's not Doc Sampson? <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking of Warblade, this made me remember that Simon Bisley did a Warblade miniseries that's really cool. As you can imagine, Bisley with a guy who has knives for fingers right. works pretty well. But yeah, that's not, a, that's not the best uh, look for Warblade. I don't even know if that's right. Because Warblade has like metal body parts and stuff, so that might be one of uh, Eric Larson maybe swinging and missing on what Warblade looks like because I don't think he takes the costume off. Speaking of costumes, Maul's costume is very smart because it covers up his freaking yellow soul patch. Man. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and and clearly a nod to Kirby with this device that he's riding right out of New Gods. Yeah, straight, you know, that's Orion. Got to get his little, his little <laughs> gimmicks in there, man. Vanguard. Got to go in business for himself with Touch. Let's go in business for himself even more because now we're going to exit the Wildcats comic and launch right back into, you know, what's, what uh, Eric Larson's been doing for a dozen issues or whatever. I enjoyed this. As, as soon as it swings to Freak Force, it makes, it, it flatters Freak Force a lot. Yeah. Freak Force was like a second tier superhero team. Uh, Vic Bridges was drawing it in this like knockoff burn style and it just was not anywhere near Wildcats certainly not in sales this was a B team this would be like Avengers West Coast or something but here Larson really shines man they, they look they look good and they look like rivals and equals it's kind of cool yeah I mean I only know that I, I do have the free for freak force comics but uh, I know them from their appearances and introductions in the Savage Dragon right. so so this this is status quo to me and I should say, not a bad series. Like, I, I'm not, uh, you know, putting the series down. It's just that's how they were viewed. Like, that series never sold in the numbers of, of something like a Wildcats. I look at uh, Larson's cartooning, and I just love his internalized comic book cartoony language. Like, just look, looking at these trees, and mm -hmm. it's just, like, very simple iconographic 
leaf textures, grass textures, bricks, but but it all reads and it's 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 all there, man. Even the use of shadow to show like this morose panel, cartooning 101. Yeah. You lose it if you're trying to make everybody look cool with badass shadows, but if you use it selectively, it can be a tool to show that kind of like you know, Mighty Man's just hurt over this thing. And that's when Maul shows up. This is what this is what Larson does, man. Yeah. And mm. this is what this is what you want. Again, rereading these, like this issue stood out to me because it's a bunch of these characters fighting. What else are you gonna do in one of these issues? Yeah, that's 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 all you want, man. So you create the MacGuffin, you got the schmas, and that's what we're gonna have. A couple pages of that, dude. And it's fun to see uh Larson Larson's treatment of such a big character because for as big as Savage Dragon is, he ain't this big. No. No, and he's going to keep getting bigger. <laughs> Again, Hulk-like, you know, he's getting more and more angry. And Larson plays with these proportions really well, man. And this is what an image comic is, too. You can't you can't judge this for not being Love and Rockets. Yeah. It's an image comic. This is what they're built on. This is what you want. And, of course, whenever they see their buddy Mighty Man in trouble, Freak Force is there. He's got their back. And, of course... Wildcats see every Freak Force ganging up on Maul, so they got to join the the Rockets. Larson's like, oh, oh shit, I forgot, I forgot, it's a Wildcats comic. <laughs> I gotta get these guys in there. Gotta love this kind of two-page spread because it is a challenge. Like, how do you make everybody look pretty cool? I like the uh, the Warblade now in costume. I think those claws look really good there. Yeah. It's hard to draw like teams like this. I mean, X Men did it for you know decades. It's not an easy thing to do. It's not. You got to juggle uh, the characters. Um, Chris Claremont described it as a dance choreography. Yeah. Speaking of which, you see it in these pages where it's like, go this way, go this way, go this way. Pretty slick how that works. And again, it's just showcasing two superhero teams. These should have a toy ad at the back. That is a fierce punch right there. <laughs> I love the way that uh, Larson twists the, the figure. You can tell that he has sound knowledge of like the cylinders and shapes and how to twist the torso and, and the hips to like to like you know dramatic comic book action effect yeah i do love that punch and it's a, a directional device too going down the page in reading order to really emphasize that movement i loved super patriot i know it's unfortunate that that background's yellow and his torso's yellow <laughs> right but it was a good design. Like at some point, we're gonna have to look at the Super Patriot miniseries, but it was a, a really wild design of just guns and just madness for a character. This may be a touch blurry because we have our thing locked, but man, that Spartan eyeball—that's a good touch. Yes, yeah, it's violence. That's a good money. That's that's the mini, like the half splash page. You would get these in the Eric Larson Savage Dragon issues because they were pretty dense. So you would get these like half splashes that were just really cool, and that's one of them. Savage Dragon's making his appearance. Of course. <laughs> Look at him with that gun. <laughs> Just the shape of him, man. His proportions are... Man, they're good. Figuring out those proportions took everybody a while. If you weren't Eric Larson. Yeah. And now we're going to have our moment. You know, the schmoz is done. The fight is done. Uh, they realize that they, they're all, you know, homies. Uh, Maul kind of sees the transformation. Sees... You know, Mighty Man turned back into a, a female nurse. So the fight is off. Yeah, you know what? Mighty Man, that's the plan. Like, Mighty Man's trying to figure out how to bring Maul down and calm him down, and that's what Mighty Man decides to do. And it works. Maul's like, huh? So now we have the uh, the meeting. Or no, this, this isn't uh, the nurse. No, that's his friend who was injured. Right. Like, he left her, I guess, to protect her. 
and now she still gets injured. <laughs> There's just so little characterization in Wildcats. <laughs> Eric Larson probably doubled the characterization with that scene. <laughs> Certainly for Maul. Yeah. And then uh, everybody um, parties on the beach. Yeah, yeah. We get we get our uh, camel toe shot. And the, the speaking of Image Comics, and the and the final uh, the final word, poop. <laughs> it's funny that yeah, there's a shot of an ass and someone saying poop. That's great. They should have had fun with the word balloon and pointed it at her butthole. Uh, <laughs> but these two trying to talk a little bit, where the nurse is kind of like kind of hitting on him a little bit and he's like you turn into a man i'm gonna i'm gonna go over here <laughs> right freaked out by it here's here's larson uh just talking about being the last guy to the party didn't know that image x month was going to be a thing yeah this is fun this is where a lot of the storytelling in image comics would take place in these kind of text pieces and usually it would be the start of the book issue one would have this and the and the guy would really tell you all about the character because the issues often failed to do so within the comics uh whenever i was toying toying with some of that 90s storytelling tropes this is what i i came up with is like this is what you've got to do this page but i always love them whenever somebody's giving some insight in the process and that's what you hear what you read here with eric larson yeah there's some vic bridges at, at, uh, art in that advertisement Cyberforce coming over, so another crossover. You could compare and contrast how these super teams are handled between uh, different artists. This is a weird ad because it lists like where you can get Wildstorm comics, and there's like these ten stores. But I mean, like that was a high-selling comic. You could get that at any above-average, even average comic book shop at the time. Weird that they pick out ten of these uh, stores. I wonder if they're getting kickbacks or something from them, or if they were doing, you know tours or something and stopping at those stores yeah has some sort of relationship with them Stormwatch. this is probably one of my earliest uh, uh wild storm uh comics this book also illustrates the formula for these super teams and right. like Stormwatch will fit it cyberforce will fit it they all had that one big guy it was like you could just have these teams fight each other and they were all mirrors yes brett booth also not getting the uh dragon fin quite right yet yeah or uh, good um, boot treads. He gets a C for those. Jim Lee doing some, uh, the video game stuff, Jim Lee was early in the video game art and had those ties clear up into the Wildstorm at DC days. Yep, yep. I think that was a lucrative relationship. Super Nintendo, man, that's the era. I quit uh, buying video games, started buying Aaron Wiesenfeld. Yeah, I was gonna say, man, I, I, this is a series that I bought when it came out and then got rid of and now i'm kind of curious about because of weisenfeld oh man I'll, I'll, I'll bust those out man he was the uh the wild storm stephen platt is how i described him man like he, he was, was he was a standout he progressed uh you know you could see him getting better from book to book and and when he does like the death blow wolverine crossover i think that's like my favorite of his yeah and it's far different than it this. is very different yeah yeah he takes it kind of like that uh it's like that that jay lee trajectory of like leaning into the 90s style and then becoming more himself right as a lot he goes of the on. wild storm guys did that like travis charay is another right. one who shows up and you can see it's the wild storm style and the more they work the more they become them yes yes yeah we'll talk we'll talk more about he's a fine artist now though right mm -hmm. yeah yeah we'll talk more about that man later jimmy what book you pulling all right uh let's go to savage dragon number 13. Nice. savage dragon was my favorite comic at this time i was reading every issue and loving it and my reading was interrupted 
to have Jim Lee come on board. So let's see how he does. Jim Lee and the luckiest man in Image Comics, Brandon Choi. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Scott Williams, not in the credit here on the cover, Bennett. Instead, nice cover. Like the cover quite a bit. I Lo feel like that's a pretty pretty badass-looking dragon. Love the tactical gear, man. Yeah. And, and it's like he studied how these guys like use the flashlights in in those kind of precarious uh pos positions uh the the anchor thing is very much worth noting you can start flipping it's very much worth noting because uh it really sells you on like what scott williams really brings to the table when you see some goofballs uh, yeah there's a stuff couple of pages by scott williams and uh we'll, we'll try to keep that in mind but you can see it's inking by a group and they're labeled finishes this is the last book that jim lee does before going on hiatus so it's possible that it's a little bit a little bit uh, more in the finisher's hands to kind of put their stamp on this. But what stood out to me, we've looked at Jim Lee works recently. What stood out to me is how much is packed in. You yeah. know, it feels like as, as you become a little more, I don't know if it's confident or, or mature or something, you find ways to do this more eloquently. And so this is still in that stage, and maybe that's what he's doing on his hiatus, you know, is stepping back and thinking about the mechanics of making comics, that we're going to see a different Jim Lee as he continues to progress. But this is just so full. It's almost like the camera's pulled back a little bit further than he would do in the future. And the first story here, what we see, this first scene, Grifter from yeah. Wildcats. Jim Lee brings, brings his guy along. This is like whenever a head another, coach another, switches teams, another he brings some of, his, uh, some of his favorite players and, and staff along with him. But uh, they're in a Chicago restaurant where Dragon is based, and there's a drug, there's like an arms deal going down between some criminals there. Dragon's surveying the thing, you know, they've got microphones, they're watching it from the van. Grifter is on the ground inside, and uh, when the shooting starts, everybody gets involved. Yeah. Nice money shot there, man, but you almost couldn't tell what the color they put on there. Yeah, this is early days of the uh, the digital coloring that's going on, and there are a lot of these like dark, you know, kind of dark. I don't know if it's printing or what. I have this theory that a lot of the darker printed comics are dark because you're looking at it on a screen and signing off, and it's just much brighter if it's backlit than it is on paper. And so I wonder if that's part of what we're seeing, uh, why some of these colors are so dark. The the other thing too, like when when they started putting the um, original like color on computer on comics. Um, if you get even a 5% K, which, which is the black value, yeah. uh, th that means that black dots have to be added to your color. And, and that's what you get here. Like there's, there's black value in this, there's black value in that. And it just, it grays out your, your color. Yeah. That's a really good point. Um, Alex, the supporting character from Dragon is shot in the process of this, uh, the, the shootout here. These are kind of our two big bad guys who are trying to orchestrate this arms deal to establish Demon Seed, a uh, a new character to put him in charge of the Chicago underworld and then the world. So, 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 Jimmy, like we don't have to bury the lead. Like Eric Larson did another issue thirteen. He did. And was it the same plot points here of like the Demon Seed thing, or was it just completely different? It's very different, and it actually the. The replacement, he does do another 13, right. which is so strange as a reader, but it ties in a little bit to his Wildcat story, oh, which I Dragon see. makes a cameo in, and like you can see on the cover, Mighty Man, so that's an Eric Larson uh, character too. So there's a little bit of a tie-in there. And, you know, Larson made no bones about it. He wanted to do 
over a hundred issues of Savage Dragon, right, and draw it, um, comparing it to the Fantastic Four Kirby Stan Lee stuff. And so this was awkward for him. And he writes about that in the back of his Wildcats issue. He was the last image founder to be brought into X-Month. Like those right. guys were all just kind of spitballing and had come up with this idea before he was told about it. Jim Lee's dragon is uh, hit and miss with me. That's not the way the fin works. Right. Everybody would get the fin wrong for the first couple of years of Savage Dragon. I think they've all worked it out now. You know what's crazy though? Like, look at go to the front cover. Not bad. Yeah, pretty good. And and who knows? Maybe Larson had a little more input, or Jim Lee. I don't know. You know, was looking at Figured something to right. But it it is that is a good fin. But it's hit and miss throughout. So I, I'm lukewarm on the on the dragon by Jim Lee. Also, like dragon is this cartoony kind of like way too big of a character. But that's that's him. That's that's the character. It doesn't look right. Jim Lee draws stuff anatomically pretty close, and so uh, we need a little more exaggeration in dragon size. Greg Capullo did a really good one in he Spawn did. when he crossed over. Yeah, he did. Very cartoonish. So there's your Demon Seed guy. There are these arms guys that are trying to orchestrate this deal, and there's there's some bullshit with this. And the bullshit is they're trying to get advanced weapons from the Ukraine. This dude, I believe, is part of like one of the alien races in Wildcats. You want advanced weapons, man. Bring them in from the alien advanced technology, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, Jim, Jim Lee comics, or it's they read. It's like it's like canon films, you know. Like whenever there's there's these uh, cliche drug busts that we've seen in like every canon film, you know, that had Chuck Norris in it or something like that, man. Um, you, you come for you come for the drawing, but when it when it gets down to the story, forget about it. And the, the knock that I have on this one, too, is this is a grifter story. It Dragon is. Dragon just guest appears. I was going to count panels and then lost interest in that. Yeah. But I'm sure that grifter's in more stuff than the uh, than the Dragon, more panel appearances. And it turns out grifter is working with her. They're undercover uh, international operations agents. <laughs> there you go. I thought you were a wildcat. Yeah, really. Um, Grifter recognized the one guy who was, you know, those two dudes that are trying to sell the drugs. Well, he's also working like undercover and they have, you know, anytime you have a mysterious character, of course they've met before. This is Max Prophet, by the way. I'll take your word for that. Not to be confused with John Prophet from <laughs> oh, Extreme Studios. They're not brothers. They spell it differently. And FYI, there's that moon? full moon fever, man. X month is happens on full, the night of the full moon. Dig. Get your pinups. Not my favorite, but I love that they would do the pinups in the centerfolds. Yeah, the pinups were almost always like they were cool to look at, but they always were off. Like, I, I and as a kid, I would get certainly offended at um, how how off uh, some of these pinups would be. It's like, man, Jim Lee's the only guy who could draw Grifter. Yeah, really. And it just feels, like I said, pretty busy. I think some of this could be chalked up to your different finishers. I'm not sure who this is, but clearly not not uh, Scott Williams doing the inking on this one. Yeah, for sure. It's it's the book is kind of fun for trying to see like how like the Wildstorm, you know, inkers would do their version. Like I, this is probably an Alex Garner piece. You know what's funny, man? I, I sure hope it's not the. Uh, there there are Scott Williams pages in here, so I hope. I think there's 17 and 18, which maybe. That, that might be. Yeah, I don't know. I should have probably flagged that one too, but nevertheless, the big deal is going down. They've kidnapped the IO agent, and uh, so everybody is going to the docks because that's where these, these kind of deals happen. Right, exactly. I know that from Canon Film. I've seen oh. enough Canon Films to know that's where you're trading your weapons. They, they, uh, they own stock in wooden crates, those guys. And 
Max Profit, he's been exposed. So Grifter's old buddy gets shot there. Oh yeah, speaking of wooden crates, they're they're yeah, of course. couple. Gotta have those. Dragon's there, Grifter's there, and now they're teamed up. There's not a lot of storytelling in terms of uh, how they bond. How do you get this guy who was uh, handcuffed to the hospital bed and now he's free and you've given him some kind of laser guns to use? Shouts to John Pham. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but there's your money shot. This is what you want out of a Jim Lee comic. Who knows? Maybe this is the Scott Williams pages. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah, it's like, man, if I want to sell these these things, man, I need to have the, the, a, the A-lister. This is where you see the fin not working right because it doesn't come out that way. You know? Oh, yeah, that's too much. It, it tapers down into the back of the uh, back of the neck there. And so the bad guys, they, they escape out, you know, despite all of the shoot 'em ups that's going on. Uh, the, the guy who was selling the guns, he has them all on this on this ship, and they're supposed to rendezvous somewhere. So off he goes, and it's like, damn it, they got away. What's it take to catch these guys? Well, <laughs> this is your high-tech weapon. It's a, uh, it's a smart missile launcher, a smart weapon. That's really neat, because I think that's... That's random, right? Like, people weren't talking about smart technology in 1994, right? There, there were homing missiles and stuff. Yeah, but do they call them smart weapons? Oh, what do I know? It seems pretty pretty neat, but he shoots the smart missile. I'm sure Brandon Choi wasn't an innovator. And this is that bad storytelling. I guess that's the boat, because they kind of tell us nice shot. But you don't see the boat really anywhere. It just take take the word for it. Yeah, and it's like... You only see the dragon in the in the eyesight. You see it aimed at his face. <laughs> it does look like he's about to shoot dragon right in the side of the head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know that's that's it. Not my favorite dragon comic, uh, but part of Image X Month. You know, like what's nice here is it's one and done. Yeah. I don't know the last Jim Lee comic that that I read that was like that. So it's kind of cool to see a complete story in there. And uh, like I said, I think Jim Lee was on his way to a little hiatus, one foot out the door maybe. So, not too bad. It's fun to see that digital, that old digital coloring. And then you get the classic Fanatics uh, Savage Dragon letter column. This thing, if you were a reader, was, was you know a big piece of what you were getting. It was usually at least four pages and Larson answering all kinds of questions and talking shop and sometimes talking trash. And, uh, you know, weighs in a little bit on, uh, on his thoughts on this issue. And he's a little uneasy with it. Because he does have these this goal to do uh, you know over a hundred uninterrupted issues, and now what? Is he starting back at one? <laughs> hey, favors, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the bell so that we can notify you when new videos are uh, available. Uh, the vids are brought to you by the books that we make, and uh, before you is a very robust section of uh, the books that we have available uh, to begin. There's the Hip Hop Family Tree Omnibus, uh, collecting all of my Hip Hop Family Tree works. It's the 10-year anniversary of Hip Hop Family Tree, 50th anniversary of hip hop as a culture. Uh, the books are going quick, the books are going fast, and uh, they're flying off the store shelves, so get it quickly uh, if you want it uh, in any sort of timely fashion. Now, the only holiday effort, we've got the trade paperback for the X-Men Grand Design Trilogy from Marvel Comics is going to be available in stores on November 14th. Got the comp copies of that uh, right now. Two trade paperbacks of Red Room are out there, Anti-Social Network and Trigger Warnings, with a third coming to you called Crypto Killers in 2024, uh, January. Jimmy, what do you have? Street Angel, Princess of Poverty is my next release. It'll be out at the end of November 
from Image Comics. You should be able to get that wherever books are bought and sold. It is a companion piece to Street Angel Deadly Scroll Alive, also from Image Comics. These two books, besides looking good on your shelf like a set next to each other, collect all of the Street Angel comics that I have made so far. So pick up both of those if you haven't already. I have been self-publishing True Crime Funnies. That's a collection of nonfiction stories. The 1986 zine celebrating the greatest year in comics history and the BW zine celebrating the black and white explosion and self-publishing boom of the 80s and early 90s. These are all available on patreon.com slash jimrug if you want to read them now. Otherwise, uh, follow me and I'll let you know whenever they're available to buy from my website, jimrug.com. And Hulk Grand Design, my contribution to the Grand Design series. Um, I believe these are out of print, so pick it up if you haven't already whenever you see it in a comic shop. Um, these are disappearing fast and hard to tell when they'll be back. The books are the most important part of keeping that Cartoonist Kayfabe channel going. Uh, we are a daily YouTube channel with more than 1,500 videos uh, available to you right now. Give the channel a search. Uh, go on the front page. Hit the magnifying glass. Search for your favorite comics. Check out those episodes. If we did not talk about your favorite uh, comics let us know what they are in the comments and we will uh, push those comics a little bit higher on our uh, to read piles uh, the patreon helps subsidize the cartoonist kayfabe channel uh, three different levels of participation there but the king kayfabers the you know the top dogs they get all the videos that we shoot before anybody else gets to see them they're hanging out with us in the live stream uh, chat room right now as we are recording and we always shoot a couple extra videos at least one extra video so uh, there's a big queue of videos that develop that only the kings have access to before we release those you know later on down the line when jimmy and i have to take a break or something like this uh once again the books are the most important part but there are a few other ways to support the channel jimmy let the people know you can subscribe to the cartoonist kayfabe newsletter at the links below this video to keep up on what we have coming out and when you can also pick up cartoonist kayfabe t-shirts merchandise Hats, cups, mugs, stickers, and lots more of the Cartoonist Kayfabe Enterprise <laughs> at our spread shop. That link is also under this video. So uh, there it is. We laid it out. You have uh, num num numerous ways that you can uh, support the channel and keep these videos coming to you on a regular basis. Jimmy, without further ado, uh, let's get out of here. But first, please give everybody their marching orders. Read more comics. Make more comics. <laughs>